so there's these villages that live near around wells right because you have to live near water and it's so dry and hot there it's like 49 50 degrees celsius yeah. under shade yeah and every day when we were staying in those villages while helping them like with education and like medical stuff and treating them we had like we had teams that had to go get water from the well and just to get water from the well you have to trek five to six kilometers which is about an hour hey guys welcome back to the way podcast um i'm your host Sajin Marwar, and this week we have a new guest daniel lim so daniel lim is a fellow student here at uft um, as you can tell, we're filming in the dungeon at UFT. <laughs> <laughs> Bro, this place is sad. <laughs> yeah, it's really hot in here. Um, but yeah, I know him from... We took math. MET 1 through 3. Yeah, yeah, last year. In fir- yeah, in first year, we were in the same... like uh, Same pod. <laughs> yeah, same pod. And yeah, so why don't you introduce yourself to our audience? Sounds like, feels like a tell me about yourself interview question. <laughs> so, but yeah, um, I was currently a second year student specializing in finance and economics at UFT. Uh, as, as you mentioned, I took some classes with him. And yeah, I'm excited to be here and thanks for having me here. No problem, man. So, um, why don't we start off with, uh, I guess, your interests. You know, what do you like to do in your free time? What um, what do you like to spend your time doing, I guess, other than school? Oh, yeah. So, uh, other than school, um, I like playing sports. Mm-hmm. So, um, throughout middle school and high school, I played soccer, volleyball. Um, although I wasn't, like, really, really good at it. I played badminton, table tennis, yeah, um, some other sports like that. And due to the pandemic, because we had to stay home... Um, I actually started teaching myself guitar, acoustic guitar, Ooh. since like middle school. Um, my uncle actually gifted me an acoustic guitar <clears throat> for my birthday. And then I, I grew up watching my dad play guitar. Yeah. So I started picking it up. I think it was when they released a Frozen. The first okay. Frozen came out. And then I heard the Let It Go song. I fell yeah. in love with it. And then I, I was on YouTube and I saw this Korean guitarist playing Let It Go in mm-hmm. fingerstyle on the guitar. And then I was like, I want to play this. And I took the guitar and I started teaching myself. Yeah. And then ever since, I've uh, I've just been practicing and playing guitar. And it's it's like part of me now because I yeah. love playing it. And that's how I relieve my stress and manage stress during school, I guess. Cool, cool. Yeah. Uh, that's really cool. You took it up on your own, you know. You kind of got inspired. And you had the you know, opportunity. <laughs> and you're like, you know, might as well. Yeah, for sure. Because... Uh, it's, I mean, I don't know how I kept playing it. Because, like, a lot of people, when they start guitar, yeah, um, the hardest part with learning guitar is, I think, in the first couple of weeks, to about a couple of months, um, you have to develop thick skin on your end of your fingertips. Yeah. And then until you have that, it hurts. It hurts to um, <laughs> yeah. press the frets on the guitar. So, it hurt. And then, but I just, like, I don't know what I was thinking. I was, like, 12 years old, mm-hmm. I kept playing it, and up to a point where all my fingers were bruised, because I played like 8 to 10 hours a day, oh, during, because it was like 5th, uh, 6th grade, and then middle school, I didn't have much to do, come yeah, home, yeah, just yeah. play guitar all day, and then so I had like bruises, and I bled at one point, 
from play to one. I'm not, I'm not even kidding. This guy is this guy I'm is not a different kidding. level right here. And then it bled because yeah. there was a part in the Let It Go song where you have to like move your pinky so much and it, it ripped and it started bleeding. Yeah. And then I couldn't play for like a week. And when I got back to it, then it was developed like thicker skin. But then at first I was like super bad, right? So it sounded terrible. <laughs> it sounded so bad for the first couple of years, I have to say that. Because I didn't have a teacher. I didn't mm-hmm. know what sounded good or bad. I just spalled whatever was on the YouTube video yeah. with the score sheets. And it was so bad. And I played until like midnight, right? And then my parents, my sister, my dad, mom, they're just trying to sleep. And I'm playing guitar, <laughs> jamming and banging on it, um, <laughs> yeah. like full swing, like at night. And then I, when I wake up, like, I, I wake them up from my guitar, like, sound banging because it's so noisy. <laughs> so, like, my mom threatened me at one point because we lived on 8th floor. It was back when I was, I'm from Korea, but mm-hmm. our family lived in China for about 6-7 years. So, and we lived on 8th floor. 8th um, is a really popular number in China. Yeah. Um, and then my mom threatened me that she's going to throw my guitar out the window <laughs> if, I kept, if I played past 9, 9 p.m. I know so that. So I had a restriction. <laughs> Did your parents do that too? No, because I played trumpet as well. And it's not really, you can't really play trumpet by plugging your earphones in. Yeah, yeah. Right? So <laughs> they're like, can you st- please stop playing the trumpet yeah. in the house? It's so loud. I can throw the thing out the window. But yeah, continue. <laughs> so that's what happened. But uh, after about like four or five years, mm-hmm. it started, started sounding like decent. And then like they were like, okay with it. And then I would play, like I learned to play softer like nicer, more pleasing to hear, I guess. Mm-hmm. And then they were like more open with it. And now they're, they, I think they like it because I'm out of a sister. Yeah. And um, because I play all the time, um, she actually learned to play guitar a little bit. So she plays a few chords. She can play some songs. Um, yeah, it's pretty cool. And then my sister and I, um, we actually in middle school participated in like talent shows because I play guitar, she played too. Yeah. And then like she'd sing, and then we participated in talent shows. I did like fingerstyle duets and performances with people, and I was part of my uh, church band as an acoustic and electric guitarist. Um, I volunteered about like two three years, and it's actually uh, yeah like starting something and keep pushing at it. You get to a certain level, and then it like kicks off, and you're like so glad that you did it. Yeah. yeah, there's a lot of stuff like that. Yeah, for sure. It's like when you first start, there's that point, it's... I, I can't remember what like the theory was or the model that, it's, that you use, but it's like, there's a certain point when you're learning something new yeah, where you feel like you know a lot, mm-hmm. which is close to the beginning. And the more you learn, the more you learn yeah. that you don't know. <laughs> yeah, you don't really know everything because there's such a breadth of knowledge. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's when it really gets fun learning something because right. you realize that there's so many intric- intricacies in you know playing guitar playing piano doing whatever right mm-hmm. and reaching that level of like chasing that level of expertise in something it's just it's something that you may never reach i don't think anyone will ever reach a point of pure expert yeah right um but you know the whole goal of just trying to improve yourself it's you know so i'm not like Super, super, super crazy guitarist. <laughs> <laughs> He's being humble, guys. No, 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 no. I'm not. I'm not. I just, I just play for fun. Yeah. But hey, man, playing for fun. That's everyone should be playing for fun. That's a fun guitar. Even Honestly, if, for a if, job. You, if you don't find it fun, because 
My mom tried to teach me piano. Mm-hmm. Tried to teach me violin. Gave up first one in six months, second one in a year. Like <laughs> yeah. unless you find it fun, you can't keep on doing it. So yeah, that's like a lot of stuff, man. Yeah. But I do wish I kept learning piano. Like I regret giving up on piano. Yeah, it's like sometimes your parents need to push you. You might not initially like it, and there's other things where it's like they push you so long and you you deal with it, but you also don't like it. You still don't like it no yeah, matter yeah. what. Um, but yeah, you know, like even when I was a kid, I started playing when I was 11, and you know, as a kid, like you don't want to go to piano practice. It's yeah. like oh, I don't want to go. I don't want to practice and stuff. But then you hit a point where you're like, I actually really like this, you know. And that was me probably when I was 14, maybe 13, 14, where I was like, not just doing it because I like, you know, I kind of liked it, just like a lot of stuff. That's when I really got passionate towards it because I started making my own stuff Mm -hmm. and, you know, learning about improvisation, just music in general and stuff. Like, you know, jazz, but blues is like the first genre that I really got into. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, I learned the blues scale and started improvising over, you know, simple chords. And Mm -hmm. um, from there, like, I stopped taking lessons when I was 15. Mm -hmm. And from that point on, I just continued on my own, you know, learning. You know, YouTube's such a great source for learning anything. Yeah. More about jazz theory and composition and stuff like that. And just... For sure. Yeah. It was just so much fun, you know? And, you know, I eventually got to the point where I produced my own tracks, you know? Like... They're not as good. Like, listen, guys, I've released four songs up until this point. Uh-huh. You know, go listen to them, but better stuff is coming out, okay? Eventually. When's your next release? I don't know. It's, it's it's coming along? It's the 7th of March right now when we're filming this. Uh-huh. So we'll see. I'll update. I'll put a little graphic somewhere here to say the update. <laughs> link in bio to my new song. But yeah. Are you, is something being planned right now? Do you have a song that you're... I have, I've, I've been trying to release an album for a while, actually. Oh, I think... Not like a single, but an album. Yeah, like a full 8 to 12 track album. Oh, shoot. Yeah. But, because I already have, I've had the art for it for a long time, the cover art, and I want to release it in, actually, I want to debut with just a, just an album. But then I was like, you know, let's take it slow. I want to really hone it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the songs that are supposed to be in that have changed. Like, I've got, the thing is... I have four songs out, but I have probably 80 things. Like, if I have a folder on my thing, yeah. it's like 80 different Dang. versions of tracks. Yeah. I have so many tracks that I've started, just ideas, and then never continued right. on them. But right now, I've got about maybe f- six tracks that I'm, like, pretty happy with. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm working on right, one right now. I'm going to release the name for probably the cover in next few weeks or so. The oh, single cool. with... Um, with actually a, a singer, um, another artist. Singer! Yeah, one of my old friends from middle school, actually. Yeah. We performed together in a talent show in in grade 8. That's cool. Yeah, and, like, I haven't talked to her since grade 8. And you reached out? Yeah, because I saw she released a song with someone yeah. she knew. I was like, oh, she's still doing music. It'd be, you know, I just sent her a DM. And she's like, yeah, I'd be down to totally work together and stuff. And, yeah. That's cool. Yeah, cool. shout out, shout out to her. She she got her Instagram hack, which is sad, but she's she's building back up. It's King underscore T. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Plug plug in. Plug plug. Dude, there's like it's like five minutes into the episode of plugged like so many people, but yeah. So I've been working on that a lot. Um, and it, the thing is, 
for the album, it's called Wandering. Okay. Um, that's the plan for the name. I've already released that um, name out there, but the whole idea was I was making it as a transition from high school mm-hmm. to university. Yeah. And it's kind of like, you know, like the cover is me with the graduation, my graduation cap, mm-hmm. right? And it's just, um, it's kind of symbolizing where you go after you're moving into a different chapter of your life. So all the mm-hmm. track names was like, I release a few of them, like Going Places yeah. is one of them. I have a picture of the Toronto skyline I took from um, somewhere in my area. Yeah. Because, you know, going to UFT. Um, Memories was one of them. That's a good one. Yeah. And, um, you know, I just took, a, I took another pic, I guess, try to make it nostalgic. <laughs> and then, um, what was my first one? First one was LP. That's the name of my school, Lauren Park. Mm-hmm. Um, that was the first one because I was trying to figure out a name for it. I'm like, this just reminds yeah. you of high school, so might as well name it after it. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's like, yeah, that's like that was the idea, you know, because I'm wandering, kind of going from different place to different place. You don't really know what's going on, you know. Mm-hmm. After that point, you might, you know, a lot of people are feeling that. Yeah, the transition. How was that for you? You know, because we, you know, all it's probably <laughs> it was a crazy time. You know, COVID was brand new at that point so for me moving around i was, I was actually kind of used to it yeah um because our family moved around a lot because uh, my dad was in management so he would get placed in different cities to manage um, yeah. locations so i i was born in south korea seoul but even within korea we moved to different city when i grew up in elementary school and we, I think our family moved to about five, six different cities in China. And so like Qingdao, uh, Shanghai, Hong Kong, um, Beijing, Shenyang, like not all over the place. Yeah. <laughs> like north to south there. Yeah, so I moved like every year. Okay. So it's like new friends, new school. Until I got established um, in Beijing, which is the capital of China, for about five, six years. Mm-hmm. That was a longer stay. Um, that's where I did grade five to like grade nine, and then from there I moved to Vancouver uh, in Canada. Yeah, and then I did my uh, grade 10, 11, 12 there, and then I moved to Toronto for UFT. Yeah, um, during COVID, so I did a lot of moving. So it wasn't like for me the transition, it didn't really feel like it from a high school to university transition, mm-hmm. but just like moving to another city again, and then going yeah. to a different school again. Except of course it got harder. Um, oh yeah yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah but other than that um, I really like how much bigger UFT is because like gradually my schools got bigger yeah because I started I, w- I went to international school uh, when I was in China so it was like class of 10 then it became class of 20 30 came to Vancouver slightly bigger and then UFT it's like class of 100 right. yeah um, so I like how it's bigger though you get to meet a lot of new people. Yeah, yeah for so, sure. Not you, you know? You exactly. Met me, you know? It's like one of the beautiful things about a school that's so big and so renowned just for even just international students in general, mm-hmm. you know? Like, I mean, you've lived in Canada, but like there's, you know, like, you know, Jeff, he was in Vancouver for how many years? Like, he lived there for, like, since early, he came earlier than me. Yeah, like, he said he was, yeah, late middle school. You know, and then I've met so many friends, like, a lot of people from Turkey, like, 
it's like everywhere, you know, tons of Chinese students, a friend from Thailand, Japan, like it's just all over the place, you know, Mm -hmm. and it's because, you know, Toronto is such a diverse city in itself. Yeah, for sure. Even with within that, everyone's still Canadian, right? And there's still the, a similar perspective within Canada. I'm trying to become a Canadian soon. <laughs> and get that citizenship? Well, or I get drafted. Oh, yeah, you have to do the mandatory. So, I am Korean at the moment. I've held a, at the Korean, moment. <laughs> a Korean passport for about 20 years of my life. Um, and it's an all-Korean male. Once you turn 19, yeah. they do a whole body checkup. And you have to, from wherever you are, you have to come back to Korea. The body checkup and they rate you on a level one, two, three, four, five scale. And if you're level one or two, you go to the front line or top class, like wherever is the fighting. <laughs> Most yeah. evident. Level three, four, you get assigned to more like local public service. Mm-hmm. And level five, you don't need to go. But yeah, so I had to go back last year to do a whole body checkup. They do a bunch of like physical checkup, eye checkup, glasses, dental, teeth, whole yeah. lot, everything, X rays, like. Um, they even do urinary checks. Urinary check. It's so weird when they do the urinary check because they check like two, three hundred guys at once, right? And there's like a line of two, three hundred guys in the bathroom uh, waiting to pee. That's hilarious. <laughs> and then everybody's holding their little like tube. Yeah, they're like that they have to pee in. And then there's so much pressure because you're in the urinal, and then you feel the pressure from two hundred guys waiting to pee it's like, behind nah, you. Hurry up, dude! I gotta <laughs> pee their pants on the way there. Yeah, and then you put your sticker on that thing and put it into the machine and then they do the machine does analysis and you get your results. But yeah, I got assigned to level two because they said I would have been level one other than because I have glasses. Uh If you have glasses, it's harder to like engage in combat of course than compared to a person who doesn't wear glasses uh, because it's dangerous too. Um, So I got assigned to level two but that means I have to go. So I will be drafted pretty soon. Oh, that's, well, that's, all my friends actually went this year. Oh yeah. So my friends who are Korean friends who are university went all the all went all of them went to army. But currently I'm guilty. So if you're outside Korea, you can delay it as long as you're in school. Oh, I see. So the plan here is that I have to get my Canadian citizenship before I graduate, or just to uh, <laughs> go to graduate school too. You know, <laughs> get your MBA. You know? Yeah, bro. <laughs> my original plan was marry a Canadian. Dude, that's, that's like in every movie. Dude. Yo, Cause I'm not even kidding. <laughs> yeah, you gotta get it, man. But so I looked into it after high school. I was like, no, can you get how citizenship? You're 20. <laughs> yeah, I looked it. I'm not even. I looked into it. Yeah. And they changed the law. You can't get the citizenship even if you marry a Canadian. You still have to go through the same process. Yeah. Yeah. So our family actually got our permanent residence um, while I was grade 12. Mm-hmm. So after that, you have to wait. Like three years. Yeah. Um. So by third year university next year, I'll be able to apply for citizenship. Is this cutting close? It's cutting close. It's cutting it close, man. <laughs> um. But just fail a couple of classes. You gotta redo them. You know. Yeah. Exactly. Just, <laughs> you I might can't have... graduate. Yeah. Just yet. Just gotta do a few more classes. Uh-huh. So that's where I'm at. Um. Uh, in terms of uh, military. Yeah, that's pretty intense, dude. Especially with uh, Russia attacking Ukraine. I mean, yeah, it's so tense in the world. It's really sad, but if... Because technically South Korea is still in war with North Korea. Yeah. We only have a ceasefire and a peace treaty. So, and I think so far until 2022, in the past two months, North Korea shot nine missiles at South Korea so far. 
That's yeah. one per week. So, um, if if they start something, I'm getting drafted like right now. So they better wait a couple years before they start something. It's like please, <laughs> not yet. Just wait. Yeah, but yeah, bro. Like, please, no more. I mean, yeah. Brings only one thing: death and destruction. You know. Yeah. Yeah. We don't really. We I talked about it with my with my back. He was over. Um, we were filming. We talked. To, we did like a funny story. Uh, it probably will be uh, released. Bef- it might be before this episode, but yeah. we literally we talked about some stupid news story, and then after we're talking about you know the Ukraine Russia crisis. Yeah. And we're like, man, it's pretty crazy. It's really high tension on the border right now. You know, like if they declare war, that this hopefully doesn't happen. Literally nine hours later, they declare war in Ukraine. And we're like, really I don't nice. think we can release this episode. <laughs> we're like, this predictions. <laughs> it's like, it's like I don't know if it's like in the best taste. It's like, man, hopefully no war happens. It's like five weeks after the war comes out. It's like, but it's like, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, actually. So sad. I know. That's why you know you're, you're lucky when we're, we're here, man. That's what reminds you. You know, a lot of people... You know, I talk about this with my friend Beck all the time, but we haven't talked about it on here really. Is that people have, especially in you know countries that aren't in direct conflict with anyone else within their own country, mm-hmm. you know, they have this false sense of um, they're almost entitled to like certain things, you know. Yeah. And they don't really know what how life could be and how it is outside of you know the bubble we have here. Yeah. You know, Canada hasn't been attacked in, what, since the British ruled over, you know? Yeah, that's a long time ago. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, there's, there hasn't been any invasion, you know, we're so lucky here. Like, we, think about, you know, Ukraine was, it's not a third world country, you know? It was yeah. a first world country. Not like it makes any difference whether you wage war in a first or third world, but it's like, you're having a normal first world person life uh-huh. and then you're invaded by your neighboring country you know like it's just insane and you know i feel like we should you know we can only do so much here um all we can really do unless you're you know um like all we can really do without in, in trying to escalate it further you know all we can do is send our love and resources and whatever mm-hmm. right and, you know, that's, I feel like this is a time of reflection for people who aren't going through that. Because, you know, we should be grateful that we don't have to see this combat on a daily basis, you know? Yeah, for sure. And, you know, it's the thing. People like to get... People feel like they need to be... It's not oppressed, you know, but people find things to be upset about when they're in such a great situation already, you know? You know? And you, I see it so much here. It's like, you don't realize how good you have it. If you make over $50,000 US, you're in the top 1% in the world. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Like, <laughs> you make over 50000 US dollars. Here, that's that's just above... That's above the... Is it the median? That's around... I think that's the median. It's 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 a it's a, above the median, but not okay. by much. I think the median in Canada is 40... 40-something okay. Canadian. But... Yeah, like you make sixty whatever, sixty five thousand Canadian, you make more than ninety nine percent of the entire world. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's like crazy. People always complain about those who are hyper rich. You know, of course they're doing, 
that people can be bad at every level and you know they have more opportunity because they have more money but you have to also take into account that you know you should appreciate that you have first of all running water you know clean water low crime rate you know there's so many things to appreciate in this country water for real bro because uh in the past summer I went to uh, I don't know, I went on a volunteering mission trip to Africa. Mm-hmm. I went to um, this remote part in South Sudan. So it was like a three month trip, and since there was no airstrips, we had to trek in. Oh yeah. Yeah, and there's like rivers, so riverbeds. So we can't even drive in because once we drive in, and if it rains, it gets flooded. And we can't come out. Come yeah, yeah. So we had to walk in, and then we were told that if it rains, we had to walk out. Through the river, like tie ourselves with the whole team, walk through the river with yeah, our bags yeah. up, you know. So we went, we went and trekked in. I think throughout the whole trip, we trekked about like three, four hundred kilometers. We had a trek, twenty kilogram trekking bag with the, holding our tents, yeah. water filters. It was incredible, insane. But we went in, and it was crazy because. So there's these villages that live near, around wells, right? Because you have to live near water. And it's so dry and hot there. It's like 49, 50 degrees Celsius yeah. under shade. Yeah. And every day when we were staying in those villages while helping them like with education and like medical stuff and treating them, we had like, we had teams that had to go get water from the well. And just to get water from the well, you have to trek five to six kilometers, which is about an hour. Mm-hmm. And then when you're coming back, you're holding this jerry can with 20 liters of water each. So that's 20 kilograms you put on your head. Yeah. These villagers do it on their head. But it hurts so much we have to carry it. And then we're super slow. Because like they're yeah. like pros. They're like... Yeah, they're none of the guys do it. It's always the girls that are doing it in that yeah. culture. So... And then carrying it back, you're like sweating, sweating. You come back and there's like only half the water left in the jerry can because you spilled it all. Yeah. It's and like, then, oh, I gotta go back. Yeah. But then you also have to drink six liters a day just because you sweat everything out. Yeah. And so it was like crazy just to get water. And the fact that I came back, right? I came back to Toronto and then I saw tap water. I was just like, it's like, oh, I this appreciate is... this so much more. <laughs> this is crazy. I have tap water. I can drink this. Like, How long were you guys there for? Three months. Yeah, it's a long, I mean, you definitely adapt to the situation. I became a primitive. Yeah, like, <laughs> it's like water, there's, it's not 50 degrees. We're not boiling on the inside of our bodies. Yeah. It was yeah, 50 degrees. You like sit under the shade and you're dripping. dripping. Like it snows drips from yeah, like yeah. what snow? Sweat just drips <laughs> from like from your face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's your yeah. brain gets fried. You literally feel fried. Yeah. It's crazy. It's like the only time I've been in that kind of heat, I mean the difference I mean here it's it's like it's just humid here. It's different heat. But you know, I was in we went to Vegas. Uh-huh. And the thing is for me, like I can handle pretty hot temperatures, but like, you know, when you have to walk six kilometers, uh-huh. you know, like I can handle 50 degree weather. Like I could wear <laughs> pants at 45 degrees, but if it depends on, depending on the heat though, like yeah, if it's, yeah. if it's dry heat, then I'm good. Okay. But dude, if it's, but it's also like, um, we're not outside for 90% of the day in the sun walking to get water, you know, <laughs> like it's a That's different true. experience, you know, imagine, yeah, it's pretty crazy. It makes it really makes you appreciate what you have. Like Yeah, for sure. 
Because, like, we went there, and one of the things was, another issue was there's no food. Because mm-hmm. these guys, these people are still farmers. They don't use, okay, so they don't use money. Yeah. I, I this barter system? Yeah, they have a barter system. And it, how it works is it's cows and goats and chickens. Chickens, each chicken's $30 USD. Um, each goat is about 100 Fifty two hundred each cows is good ones three hundred to five hundred dollars USD and so they have a barter system and they grow up as just learning to take care of their like herd yeah and it was just crazy because they're yeah another thing when they do so if you want to get married mm-hmm. in that society in that culture so this whole area was called Taposa land because the tribe's name was Taposa tribe and they spoke the Taposa language. Mm-hmm. And in their culture, if you want to get married, you have to pay the price for the bride. Yeah, yeah. You know about it? Yeah, I know about that. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's pretty, yeah. And it's usually you pay like a certain amount of cows, like 20 to 50 cows. And it's if you pay a lot, a lot, a lot, you pay up to 100 cows, which is like $50,000. Yeah. And so it was crazy. And what happens is you, you literally buy the wife from the family. And the family thinks of it as a transaction. So once she's bought, they don't think her, think of her as a daughter. That's moved on to the other family, right? Yeah. So, and in this culture, like the fact that a lot of people argue like about equal, having gender equality here, but in this culture, it's completely segregated from the world. And it's, so they have these whips. These whips are for the wives and kids. They have this wood yeah. made out of cow leather. And so what the woman have to do every day is get water from the well. Um, they're so trained to do the jerry can on their head. They can do it without even holding it and walk. Crazy. Nice, yeah. um, and then they have to cook mm-hmm. and take care of the kids um, and all that. Everything they have to do, clean the house, build the house. The guys do not do anything. All they do every day is lie down under this tree shade. It's ridiculous. That's okay. They're called the elders of the tribe. And so all they do is lie down and kind of give advice to people on how they should do things and how the woman should do the work. And if the woman don't do the work on time, it's like they, if they get hungry, the food's not ready, the wood comes out. It's pretty and it's crazy when you see them getting beaten, you can't do anything. So yeah. we, can't, we can't intervene yeah. with their culture. And the kids too. If the kids mess up or, you know, like spill something or like, yeah. comes the beating you hear the screaming it's so so sad and painful yeah and it's just it's just kind of crazy to see the other side of the world where it's, it's still that like that kind of thing's still there and yeah. that's normal that's very very normal there yeah it's pretty insane you know it's definitely a culture shock it's such a you know it's basically going back to I don't know how many thousands of years ago how life was you know, and it's still being lived the same way. And it's it's pretty insane how it is. You know, especially coming from, you know, you, were you living in Canada at this point? But even if you're living, yeah, like... It was after my first year at uni, at UFT. Yeah, like, you're... It's just... It's obviously it's a culture shock. I mean, the thing is when... Because I went back to India and... Uh, well, I was two when I first went back there. But mm-hmm. the second time I went back was when I was 11. And we're from a small village in Punjab, mm-hmm. and it's the thing in India is, you know, caste is very important, mm-hmm. um, and it comes, you know, comes to the Hindu religion. Basically, it's 
it's based on what your previous life was. Mm-hmm. So if you were a, if you're a good person in your past life, mm-hmm. you'll you'll have you'll be fortunate in this life. That's uh-huh. what the idea is. So people like the priests, um, and other wealthy castes. Mm-hmm. There's like five levels. Um, I don't know. Six. I don't know all of them, but um, I know priests are at the top. Mm-hmm. Um, and oh, what are they? I think they're Brahman. Uh, yeah, I remember learning about it in my classes. Well, what did you learn about it? Is it a world religions class? I had a world history class. Uh-huh. And then they went through uh, the systems. Like, uh, it was, there was an India history. And then, like, there's different types of histories and parts of the world. And then, part, as part of it, we had to learn the systems, the mm-hmm. economics and cultural systems in there. And that was part of what we learned. Yeah, so... You know, there's many, and it's cast, I think there, there originally were but only a few, mm-hmm. but I think it's, ex- it's expanded a bit. Like there's so, like, for example, we're Juk. Like my family, my, my dad's side is Juk, which is a uh, farmer. Mm-hmm. And mom's side are tailors, which is, you know, it's, it's a different cast. It's actually lower than Juk. Okay. Um, but the thing is, you know, I'm sick. Um, and Sikhism was is a very it's a very recent religion. Mm-hmm. It was created Guru Nanak. Uh, it was created in fourteen ninety something. Okay. Yeah, and so it's relative compared to other religions around the world. Mm-hmm. It's pretty recent, you know, especially in India. Hinduism has been around for I don't know right three thousand years at that point, and um, it was born out of actually an amalgamation of you know a lot of different teachings mm-hmm. in our holy book the guru granth sahib mm-hmm. in there there's there is um script written from muslims mm-hmm. from christians from hindus from jains from buddhists mm-hmm. all different religions are in there you know it was it, it was created mm-hmm. like nanak guru nanak he had a best friend who was hindu okay and he had a best friend who was Muslim. Mm-hmm. And there's a story that, um, you know, he, he cremated one and he buried the other one. And then when he died, he just, they don't know where he went. They don't know mm-hmm. where his body went. Obviously, it's just a story. He's a real person. But, you know, that was actually one of the main principles of Sikhism is that caste does not matter. Because mm-hmm. caste, the thing is in India, there is a race um, yeah. uh, problem with races, right? Not like in North America, nothing like that. Okay. But it's it's still prominent. You know, there's this idea of the Aryans. Uh-huh. When you think of Aryans now, you think of Hitler's Aryan race, right? Yeah. But really, that term Aryan or Arya came from Sanskrit, which was, it basically referred to someone who was um, noble, but mm-hmm. eventually it came to be known as a genetic group. Mm-hmm. So the Indo, the Indo Aryans um, are the people who were part of this tribe called the Pro. There's a lot going a little deep. <laughs> Proto Indo Europeans. Yeah. These people essentially created forty percent of the languages we speak on the world. Dang, it's amazing, really. Because yeah. I was researching Hindi and Punjabi and the origin of our languages in that region, mm-hmm. and Proto Indo European people they are from the eurasian eurasian state or step mm-hmm. um, they argue whether like uh, between turkey and georgia that area 
maybe about, I don't know how many thousands of years ago, but they say all languages, basically all languages of Europe, mm -hmm. and then the languages of um, Iran and India right. were born from, um, were born from that language, mm -hmm. Indo Proto-Indo-European. And then this, I, the Indo-Aryans were the ones that came to obviously Northern India. Mm -hmm. And then the original people who were there for many years were the Dravidians. And there, for example, there are a lot, the, the stereotypical Dravidian look is someone who is much darker, uh -huh. um, shorter, and then Indo-Aryans um, or Aryans were people who were taller, had sharper noses, lighter skin. Like they, I would stereotypically be an Indo-Aryan. I'd be an Aryan. Okay. But now, in modern times, um, people present differently. Obviously, people yeah. in the south are shorter, darker. People in the north are lighter, sharper nosed. But the thing is, if you go look at people's DNA, mm -hmm. it's everyone's DNA is nearly the same component of both mm -hmm. Dravidian and Aryan but it's just how it's presented and that is something that's existed also in India as well mm -hmm. and um, and that you know prevailed through the caste system as well and you know it's it's changed a little bit mm -hmm. but really since it's a Hindu dominated society right 70% you know, Hindu mm -hmm. it's gonna prevail throughout society for example but they have that last name, mm -hmm. if somebody is a Patel, they call him a Singh, you know, if they still believe in the caste, they'll say, I'm not a Singh, don't call me, don't confuse me for those, they're lower than that. Yeah. Um, and the caste system is so, it's so ingrained in society, like, even in, for example, you know how we have um, the, the programs where, you know, um, African Americans are um, given opportunities and scholarships to come to universities, right? Mm -hmm. And they have a similar thing in India, but it's for lower castes. Oh, really? But the thing is, people of mid-level castes can't get government jobs anymore because they're only giving it to people of lower castes. Uh huh. And it's you know it's like <laughs> it's like it's just crazy what's going on right now in India. The situation is just it's pretty insane right now. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I mean, basically, what's what's been going on? You know the farmers' protest, right? Yeah. So, they're protesting against these laws that would essentially create a monopoly within the farming market. Mm -hmm. Before it was kind of like perfect competition a little bit. Um, Econ coming in. Yeah, yeah. It, there was a price. There was a price um, ceiling or floor. Yeah, there was a minimum. The minimum you had to sell that. Right? Okay. And. Basically, they're, they're get a, a minimum of this amount from the farmers will all get that, right? And wow. it was like that for a long time. And then they introduced these laws, especially um, in Punjab, right? Punjab is basically produces tons of almost all of the uh, produce for India. And mm -hmm. almost a, a lot of the water comes from there, right? Mm -hmm. Punjab, the name comes from Punj, which is five, and Ab is uh, river, five rivers. Okay. And... Basically, what they did, the government, they, they're basically disbanding that and they're letting, they're basically be a monopoly within that region and they're all protesting against it. And this guy, Modi, he was part of this group called RSS and they're a Hindu nationalist group. So a few years ago, there was this whole thing going on. This was right when he was elected. Yeah. Basically, 
um, Hindu extremists and nationalists were attacking people, call it, calling them cow smugglers. So in, in India, you can't kill cows at all, like in certain parts of the country. Really? Yeah. Why it's is like, that? Because, you know, you can't eat, um, you know, Hindus don't believe in eating beef. Right. So it's, it's like sacred because cows actually are, have been in India for, I think, over 5,000 years. Even in the Vedas, or the predecessors to Hinduism, and there they talk about drinking milk, creating yogurt, you know, um, from the cows that were from that region, an ancient form of the cow. Yeah. And it's so ingrained in, Hin in Hinduism, you know. And basically they're finding these people like Muslims, like they, in, in, in India, Muslims are the ones who eat meat. Most of the population, 40% of the population or something is vegetarian. Mm -hmm. But those who eat meat um, in India are the Muslims, really. And, you know, they just don't eat pork, but they eat everything else. Yeah. And obviously, if they eat beef, it's a whole thing. So they're basically, there's these guys called the cow vigilantes. They would find people bringing cows to be slaughtered. They would find them and beat people. Like, a gang of 30 people would take hey. the guy out of the car. And there's hundreds and hundreds of, they'd like go to the person's house, kill them. You know, these are all, like, extremists, and there is no prosecution of anyone. And this has been going on for maybe four or five years. Still, right now? It's, it's gone. Right now, it's at its peak. There's no, like, it, it just keeps on going up, because um, the elections are coming up. And Modi was part of, the, I said RSS. RSS is the Hindu National Group. Yeah. And he's not going to do anything, right? Basically, they're following this... This, there's so much propaganda about this idea of Hindutva, which is basically pure, it's not pure, it's like one people of India, right? Mm -hmm. But they think Hinduism is the people of India, and Christianity and Islam are, have tainted it over hundreds mm -hmm. of years, right? Because India was conquered by the Mughals, were Muslim, Christianity is growing in India, mm -hmm. Muslims are the second highest concentration of, uh, of a different religion there. Mm -hmm. They make up, I think, just under 20%. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they're trying... It's it, Islam is one of the fastest growing religions in the world. Yeah. And the thing is, they're trying to eradicate that, essentially. And they're basically a Nazi group for Hinduism, to put it bluntly. And, you know, they're... Even in South India, um, in Karnataka, they released, like, students, Muslim students who are in hijabs are being harassed. You can't wear that at school by these RSS members. They're, like, mm -hmm. brainwashing these youths. Um, and they... Yeah, and they adorn these saffron scarves. That's their, their garb of choice. Uh -huh. And basically, the government there and the state, not even the city, there's so much harassment. Basically, said you can't wear any religious garb at all, including... The saffron scarf, including the hijab, because they know they can't say, "You're you can wear whatever you want." Yeah. Because they know this harassment is going to continue to happen, and now you know hijabi girls can't wear their hijab to school. Yeah. You know, and then it's just crazy what's going on in there, dude. And the election's coming up, and it's just so much propaganda, like brainwashing. Like I was on YouTube, mm -hmm. and there's so much propaganda against it. Like there's like. There's um, like this channel, I forget the name of it now, something with Baharat in the name, mm -hmm. but it's basically the main channel where they're discussing that idea of Hindutva, making India a Hindu nation once again. Yeah. Sounds familiar, right? <laughs> it's crazy, and you know, 
And the thing is, six are religious minority. Yeah. There's only 25 million in the whole world. Okay. Yeah. And in India, they make about make up about two percent of the population, maybe less. Mm. And the thing is, there's always been a problem between six and the government. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, ever since even ever since the British have been there, um, even before that, the Mughals, the uh, Persian invaders, they came. Mm-hmm. They took over India. You know, they they had to fight. The six um, were originally from Punjab, which is the area right next to Pakistan. Yeah, and Pakistan used to be part of India, mm-hmm. and that was they had. Whenever an invader would have to come, they would have to come through that area, yeah. Khyber Pass, because you know all northern India is surrounded by mountains. Right, the Himalayas on the other side. No one's coming from there. Yeah. And so we were being besieged for so long. We're the ones fighting the wars, right? And eventually, you know, they're taking over the whole country. It's been ruled over by multiple different people within. And then, you know, there's when the British came in and they t- they took over. Mm-hmm. You know, there's been countless massacres of people. You know, yeah. you don't even. There's this movie. I actually watched the movie about it. I forgot the title of the movie. Udham Singh. I don't know, but it was about the massacre. Um, which one though? Like was I it? I watched it in my history class. I don't know the title, um, but it's about the massacres in India with the, when the British came in. It was. Um, it was probably. There's a lot of movies. The thing yeah. with <laughs> the thing with Punjabi movies, they're either really stupid rom coms or they're like serious. Oh, it was a serious. One. Yeah, serious three hour long war movies. There's not a single joke. Like, if you want to watch a movie and really see how the British treated, you know, India. You watch this movie called Udham Singh, who's a freedom fighter. Um, it was released a few years ago. Um, this was this took place after this massacre in um, in Amritsar, which is a where the Golden Temple is in India. Mm-hmm. And basically, back then, more farming laws, same sort of thing was happening, but by the British. Mm-hmm. This is in the thirties, and they're called the Black Laws. Basically, the same sort of idea taking away the rights from the farmers. Yeah. Many protests. And this was when the British were losing the grip of India. Yeah. Slowly, after hundreds of years, you know, pillaging the land, they're slowly losing their grip, leading up to the war. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's these two freedom fighters, Sikh freedom fighters. Now, everyone talks about Gandhi, right? Yeah. <laughs> but, guy. Yeah, but Gandhi came, when he came in, the British were already leaving. Okay. He was just, he was the one in the government. He, he's, you know, he's painted as the father of India, but mm-hmm. he wasn't the one actually fighting on the ground level. You know, this guy, Bhagat Singh, one of the most famous faces in Sikh history. He was a freedom fighter for India, not just for Sikhs. And, you know, they, you know, they would, they would launch strikes against the British. Um, they would be, you know, is martial law they would they would um you know go to the embassy and they would attack the embassy and and it was just like real tactic like it's just you know revolutionary times and then Bhagat Singh was captured and he was hung by the British um and after that Udham Singh he the movie is about his story of how he continued after um Mm-hmm. Bhagat Singh was killed because after he was killed the revolution was 
Dying. It was done. Yeah. Basically. Um, and for many years, right? Um, then up when the war started, he, he went and he traveled all around. Like, he traveled outside of India to shave. He cut his hair, shaved his beard. He went to Russia mm-hmm. um, to try to get help from the communists to help. Because um, they were socialists, both of them. Because they thought, they thought monarchy was, you know, obviously ruining the world, the, the, the world they live in. Mm-hmm. He went all these different places. And he eventually made it to England. And he assassinated the, um, uh, the, uh, I forget his name now, but he basically was the person who told, um, told the soldiers that were there and the generals there, he was the one that monitored Punjab and Punjab was one of the greatest regions in India, right? Produced so much food and had all the water for the country. And he was the one controlling with the iron fist. There was a massacre in Amritsar, and he was the one that basically it was to quell the rebellion. Mm-hmm. And it's in the movie. It's one of the like even you know you watch Saving Private Ryan. <laughs> it's like it's worse than that. Like it's because it's not fifteen minutes. It's thirty minutes of gunfire. You know, it's families, children. They massacred I don't know thousands of people. You know, and it just. You know, that's the kind of history that we have with six, and that's not even all of it, you know. Like, in India, after that point, you know, after partition, we were supposed to get, you know, fair treatment. It's written into the treaty with Gandhi mm-hmm. that Muslims, Hindus, Sikhs, will all get fair treatment and whatever, you know, they, they get what they deserve. So when they split, they cut Punjab and they reduced it to the size that it is now, which is much smaller. And they created Pakistan. Muslims got their own country. Mm-hmm. And then they have Bangladesh, which is East Pakistan, which is on the other side. And India was Hindustan. But there was no Sikh. Um, Sikhs basically got screwed. They had no land. Mm-hmm. There was nothing for them. And, you know, ever since then, well, not even ever since then, it's been a struggle to regain any sort of right. Sikhism is not even recognized as a religion on its own in India. It's recognized as a sect of Hinduism. Are you planning to go back? Yeah, I, I mean, I haven't been back in eight years, but yeah, I, I definitely want to go back. You know, like, in the, do you want to work in India in the future? I don't know, work in India, but definitely, like, you know, going back to the village, mm-hmm. it just feels, you know, you connect it to your where we come from, you know, yeah. like my. My dad, there, we went to a small village called Langedi, and you know, it's such a simple life there, farming life. Um, you know, you even go to the big city, like my mom's side, they're from, the, they're from Delhi, big city. Mm-hmm. You go there, they have a diff- completely different life. Um, and it's just a different, you know, it just feels good to go back, especially, you know, I'm Canadian, I don't, I don't call myself Indian, Yeah. you know, but I'm from, I, I'm Punjabi, you know, that's in my soul, but I'm Canadian first, right? I'm not an Indian yeah. um, citizen, but when I go back, it just feels, you feel so much more connected to your culture. You That's know? true. I mean, how, how, how was it for you, you know, because you moved around a lot, you know, um, you're ethnically Korean, you lived in China and Canada and all these different places. How was it for you, you know? I mean, I think, because, um, I think they call it like third culture kids 
these days for kids that move around lived in more than two countries mm-hmm. as growing up so i'm trilingual because yeah. i grew up in korea i speak english i live in china too so i speak mandarin which i forgot a lot but <laughs> <laughs> um but i think if you just move around so much your your uh, the culture that you fit into you just take a little bit of everything mm-hmm. so you fit into all the cultures yeah but at the same time you don't fit into any of them yeah so it's like there there are parts in canadian culture that i like strongly disagree with but some i think are really good and there's things in chinese culture that i like connect with because i grew up there i have memories there and i interact with the people there but there's of course some things that i don't agree about china chinese people even when i go back to korea Like, there are things like, oh, the food, obviously, I grew up eating that. Yeah, like, yeah. There's things like that feel like home. Like, the food, the places that I used to grow up in. But there are definitely parts where I feel nowadays when I go back. Like, I usually tend to go back at least once a year. Um, but when I go back, last time I went, Korea was so developed. It felt so foreign. Because mm-hmm. the speed that Korea, I feel like the, the capital is developing at right now is like so, so fast. And things are changing so, so fast. Yeah. That, like, I don't... It's not the Korea that I knew anymore. Yeah. Because like, I left Korea for, like, 9-10 years. And it's a whole different country now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's pretty... It's pretty... You know, in, in some ways, it's... It's it's kind of, you know, interesting. Because, especially, it's like, if I left... You know, if I left Canada, live, you know different places for 10 years and then come back it'd be it'd be so different especially you know maybe 10 years ago Seoul wasn't as developed as it is now um, and as you're saying it's been a rapid development ever since you've been back there and yeah yeah I mean yeah like I think it was especially just because I, 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 I went back to Seoul because that's the capital all the like technology coming to capital first yeah Yeah, but... Because I don't personally plan on living in Korea in the future. Or, like, working there. Mm-hmm. I, I really, really don't like the Korean working culture. Yeah, I know a bit about that. Yeah. Or the Korean education culture. I... Like, yeah. That's, that's why I got that's, out of there. Yeah, that's a whole other episode we could do on that, probably. <laughs> that's why our family... That's why my parents decided to... Uh, we had a chance to go back into Korea when I was in middle school. So, we could have... went back into Korean education system but my parents were like no um, that's why I ended up here and I'm really grateful for that um, but that made me think that I don't want to go back in there anymore <laughs> so yeah. but my grandparents are all still there so okay. um, I definitely want to visit except that like I mentioned if I become Canadian I'm going to have to get a visa to get in yeah that's true so that's a little it feels a little weird right? yeah and my grandparents want me to be Korean yeah they're like yeah, yeah they want like their grandsons to be like like have their blood carry down Korea you know um I think my parents don't care as much yeah but, and of course I care less yeah because like, the military is what's ahead of me <laughs> I mean yeah, yeah. mandatory services yeah. I gotta get rid of that I <laughs> they, gotta, they gotta make peace with North Korea and they gotta get rid of it. 
Yeah, man. Kim Jong Un. Come on. If you're watching this, bro. Yeah, if you're watching Please. This. He's probably the only person watching this, actually. Yeah. If you're watching this, we love you. Please. We love you. <laughs> Please. Just open up, you know? Open up the borders. We'll be good. Mm-hmm. North Korea is actually such a rich country. They have all the minerals, all the, all the resources. It's just not, they're not developed enough to like, utilize those. Yeah, I mean, and then, you know, you don't really have the best um, leadership. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's pretty. Have you seen, have you heard that um, that podcast with? I don't know if you heard. Um, it was with Joe Rogan on uh, with Yanya Park. Wait, what? she escaped from North Korea, bro. I don't know. I don't know if you've heard that. What? I I mean, I've heard, I've talked to a lot of North Korean refugees. Yeah, it's it's like you know, first time. Obviously, you hear about things that happen, but you know, you never hear from the mouth of someone. Yeah. Who grew up there, left as a teenager, you know, the trials that they had to go yeah. through to actually leave the country, you know. It's just insane, man, that, that a place like this still exists in the 21st century. It exists. I know. It's pretty, it's pretty nuts, man. It's just, and what, do you, what, what can we do, right? What can we do at this point? You know, all we can... I mean, we can advocate for involvement of, our, of other countries within, you know, the UN. But the problem is there's so many countries aligned with North Korea's ideal. I mean, it's just, it's so difficult. Like, what is, is China going to annex Korea or North Korea? It's like, you know, I don't think that's likely. No, it's not. I mean, but, isn't, it, isn't it, isn't, I mean, they're talking about, is North Korea a puppet state of the Chinese China? government, uh, Chinese government? Like, sort of. yeah, it's... Because they get so much funding from China. Yeah, and... Especially yeah. Russia, too. Yeah, I mean, all these world superpowers, I mean, they're on the UN. What are they going to do? Just, they're going to they're gonna annex their own, you know, one of their allies? You know, that's not going to happen. A lot of people are rooting yeah. for a reunification of Korea. Because mm-hmm. we're the same people, we speak the same language. Yeah. There are still a lot of people, a lot of families that, are, that were separated because of the war in the 1950s. And every once in a while, they have like reunions. So they open up the border and then they let the families meet. And that's So the North Korean and the South Korean families. These people are like 90 years old, 100 years old. Yeah. Their brothers and sisters and families like see each other once every like two, three years. Just because they open up the border just for those, them to meet each other. Yeah. But now that it's like 2022, the war was like 1953, like something like that. Yeah. And that it's been so long that these people are like most of them are dead now. Yeah, they used to have family that still yeah. live. So there's no more of that like reason to open up the border and like have that friendly meeting and all that anymore. And back then they used to have TV shows in Korea where they'd have TV shows where people would come up, come out and they'd be like, oh, I'm looking for this person. I... Last time I saw them was like at this train station. Yeah. And he looks like this, that, that. And in North Korea, they'll see that TV television. They'll be like, oh, it's me. And then they come and they, like, they make people oh, meet. Yeah. That kind of thing. But none of that is there anymore because obviously those people are all dying. Yeah. Just because they age. Um, but I really hope Korea unites. If, if the unification happens, I think there will be huge synergies. Because Korea, South Korea is really highly developed in technology. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and then infrastructure wall. North Korea has all the resources. So like all the, there's all the economists and studies and research done into like, oh, what if they reunite? What will yeah. be the cost and what will happen to the growth, next GDP growth and all that? Yeah. And it's in the long term beneficial, in the short term very detrimental to South Korea. Yeah, I mean, it's like um, you've been at war for 50 years or whatever, 70 years actually at this point. Yeah, so like Korea will actually have negative GDP growth in the first 10, 20 years. Cause it's just because they have to invest so much into North yeah Korea. In, improving infra- infrastructure yeah but in, in the long term um, it's good obviously yeah because yeah. they have the resources but of course all the presidencies they're trying to get the short term they're trying to get in the office they're only looking short term yeah. it doesn't really work out and China and the Russia is not going to just sit there and watch this yeah they're night. yeah you know um, they're too involved in that yeah so uh, yeah I hope praying that they reunite sometime yeah man i mean it's it's something like even in india pakistan and india that partition like my family is actually from pakistan originally because uh-huh. that was Punjab. and you now on partition if you're if you basically if you want to be muslim you have to you stay here if you're not you have to get out it doesn't matter um and you know so many i think there was upwards of a million people have died during partition just from that um, because some people displaced you know kidnapped like one of my my grand my great grandfather was kidnapped yeah Goodness. they didn't when they came when they crossed the border yeah to come where we are now uh-huh. they they didn't see him for weeks he was kidnapped and then his best friend had to get him get him out that's crazy and you know this kind of stuff like our family is not it's not even an outlier you know and even after that like 84 is another thing big in sick history um it's it was a really rough time for six and you know it's uh basically i mean we, we can i guess we can talk about it but um uh so in in the in eighty four, mm-hmm. there was this president Indira Gandhi, daughter of Gandhi, uh-huh. and she she enacted these basically. There were again laws again being um, forced onto Punjab, mm-hmm. restricting their access to water, um, restricting their rights as a state. They're one of the only states that is basically controlled by the government. Mm-hmm. Because the government needs control over all of India's resources are basically there in terms yeah. of food and water. And, you know, obviously they're opposing these laws. And six, you know, they just they live in that region. It's not like they own that region. But they've been, we've been there for many hundreds of years. And, you know, it's always connected between these two. Um, these two people, right? This, this people in this land. Mm-hmm. And there's always been the struggles, and you know, conflicts rose, protests grew, and they eventually sent troops into Amritsar, into to the Golden Temple, mm-hmm. which is like sending troops into Jerusalem, mm-hmm. you know. And there was like the bomb, the Golden Temple, and um, dang, the thing oh. is, the Golden Temple wasn't defenseless because in Sikhism, there's this idea of Khalsa. Khalsa was created when Sikhism was about to be eradicated by the Mughals who were ruling over India, forced converting everyone to Islam. Yeah. 
It was basically the idea of a warrior people. Because Sikhism is about, you know, helping those, obviously like many religions, helping those who are unfortunate in us, but also defending them. Many um, Amartari Sikhs who were baptized Sikhs, mm -hmm. they carry this thing called a kirpan. It's a small knife about this big. Yeah. And it's used to, whenever you have to defend yourself, your family, or someone who is less fortunate than you. Mm -hmm. And that's the idea of a Khalsa. So, the people at the Golden Temple are armed, right? Because we've been persecuted for so long. So they defended themselves, right? But, you know, hundreds were died, many were, in, many were injured, and you basically bombed, you know, a holy, a holy temple. Yeah, you that's know? a... Yikes. You know, and Indira Gandhi's guards were two Sikhs, and they assassinated the president, the prime minister. Huh. So, and then after that point was when it just went insane, basically. So after that point, this thing called Operation Blue Star. And basically, it was, uh, I mean, Indian will never admit it, but it was a government-organized eradication of Sikhs in the 80s. So Dang. they would send out armies, um, what was his name? P.S. Gill. Basically, he's known as the bane of Punjab's existence, essentially. He was the one that enacted that within that region. Mm -hmm. And basically sent out people to find six. And it's easy to identify, right? You wear a turban, mm -hmm. you cover your head. Yeah. There's many six do that. And that's why a lot of them immigrated during that time. They came as refugees being persecuted. It was essentially a genocide going on for many months. Dang. Like, they would find people, they, you know, they're burning them alive in the streets. And, Sheesh. you know, it's, you know, they estimate that the, the Indian government says maybe 2,000 people died. But really, it was upwards of 10, 15,000 people were killed in a matter of two weeks, you know. And from this, this idea of the Khalistan movement. Khalistan is the push for a Sikh country, separate like Pakistan and then India, Hindustan. There's a separate because, you know, this horrible atrocity came about, you know, mm -hmm. and this idea of Khalistan and the Khalistanis, you know, pe these people who are separatists, they rose up and they, you know, they're fighting against the government after these mass this massacre happened, this genocide, essentially. Mm -hmm. And at, at that point, you know, they're fighting for so many, many years after and... It was, like, even here, my, my grandparents were involved in the movement. They are supporting the movement, you mm -hmm. know. And even, there was, a, there was even one of my, you know, the thing is, after so many years, they were just killing these Khalistanis, like, the Punjab, the police would come in, just shoot them in public, you know, just horrible things were happening. They are just massacring these people, right? Because they're, you know, they're funded, they're, they're insurrectionists being funded by they have to be funded from the outside. And then after the thing is, after a certain point, they had so little funding that they would just... And basically, um, it started becoming, you know, criminals were involved. Mm -hmm. And they came, it started giving them a, a bad name. You know, they blew up a plane. Here in Canada, they blew up a plane. And then, you know, it's just... One of my uncles was actually kidnapped by Khalistanis. And there was a shootout at our house that we live at right now. 
he took did. a retreat, right? And it's it's just insane, you know. Yeah. Dang. And that's like the history. That that was less than what? That was less than forty years ago. And that's led yeah. up. Uh, you know, it's still like six have been prose- uh, persecuted in that country that we've lived in for you know hundreds of years for so long, and you know the whole idea of unification we are really you know we have the same blood our genetics are the same we may look different follow different religions but we are one people you know and many people didn't want the partition right muslims and hindus and Sikhs, we all live in peace at one point yeah you know and then things happen governments get involved powerful people people with hate you know all this kind of stuff so, um, yeah, I guess we'll, it's not really the best way to end the episode, a little, little sad, but, um, yeah, thank you for coming on. No worries. Um, hope you guys, in, you know, enjoyed this episode. We had, you know, I, I definitely enjoyed our discussion, we had lengthy discussions about, you know, various topics. So if you guys like this video, um, give it a like, comment, share it with your friends, um, check us out on Spotify. Rate us five stars, please. <laughs> and yeah, we'll see you guys next week. Peace. Peace.